House of Run podcast. What are you into these days? Mostly running, Howard. Running. Yeah. Look at Bill! Look at Bill! Coming on! Bill, you're coming on! I'm not thinking about making the team. I'm thinking about gold in Munich. What can I say? I got beat by a zebra. Starts now. Welcome back to the House of Run Podcast. House of Run at gmail.com is our email address. I am Kevin Sully. He is Jason Halpin. I'm in Austin, Texas. He is in Las Vegas, Nevada, where he's still adjusting to his work from home schedule. Did I wake you up, Jason, from a nap? Uh, I did knock out like a quick, you know, 30 minute nap earlier, but uh, so I'm feeling feeling refreshed. And uh, there are, I don't think you can hear them through the mic, which is good. But there's been dogs from a neighbor's house that have been barking for the entire day, Ooh. And, uh, which is awesome. Do you think they always do that during the day, and you just never notice because you were holding I don't things down think to the so. area? Because I, you know, I would have some days off, but maybe it's well, I was off on Tuesday, so I don't think so. I maybe there's just a Wednesday, set, like a meeting, a dog barking meeting. <laughs> that's that what goes I'm, that's on what I'm hoping because uh, I can maybe deal with one one day a week. But if this is every day, I might <laughs> go insane. Get some noise. Canceling headphones. Some I mean, I'm wearing plugs. some now, so okay. I guess then still? turn on the closed captioning and I can just enjoy whatever I'm watching. Okay, I'll just maybe I just talk the entire pod so that way you Perfect. don't hear anything from them. We got an email that actually is long enough to where I could read it for the duration of the pod uh, about the law, which is great. Ooh, it's a great okay. email. I don't know if it's going to email the. I want to put this. I want to get a word count on this. Before we read it. But we'll get to that towards the end of the show. I want to remind people, this weekend track, my video series is out on YouTube. Five minutes. Check it out, please. Go to the Flow Track YouTube page. Search this weekend track. Uh, on this week's episode, talk about the Usain Bolt, Tyreek Hill, back and forth after Tyreek Hill did not win the NFL skills 40-yard dash because he didn't try. Mondo Duplantis' near-world records. Uh, Lamont Jacobs' debut. I ha- go through all the highlights of the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. According to one commenter, I did not talk about Ireland enough. Um, according to another commenter, Agreed. I looked like Mark Zuckerberg. Which oh, is, okay. Which is great. I was thinking of – I almost responded. I was like, what if I just start doing the thing where I respond to all the comments? Mm. But then I realized – well, for your for your health, for your mental health, that's probably a good idea. Like, I well, don't the think first you were the first two were I was they kind of been I could be good natured about it because the guy's like hey talk about Ireland anymore we went you know they went one three in the New Balance Inboard Grand Prix I was just say hey that was great you know we talked about it in the pod uh, but this is like I'm not going to get to every race you know I'm not going to get to every single performance every week that's 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 where you cut. respond and say hey listen to the House of Run podcast well right so as I say you can I have two other podcasts you can listen to we will talk about Andrew Koskarin on one of those pods. The other comment about me looking like Zuckerberg, I was going to say people have also said I look like Jesse Eisenberg, the guy who played Mark Zuckerberg, which mm. means whoever did the casting for that show is really good. Nailed it. Or yeah. the movie because they were able to uh, get both the actual guy and – like I'm in the middle of the Venn diagram, I guess, and you got Zuck on one side and then Eisenberg on the other. Uh, Michael Sarah, I've gotten that. But anyway, I was going to – I didn't respond. Long story short, I didn't respond. Um so please check it out. It's called This Week in Track. If you like the show, similar sensibility. I'll say that. Maybe you'll laugh a time or two. And Jason sometimes, you know, oftentimes, you know, proofreads my stuff. And it's like, hey, this joke sucks. Is this even a joke? Say this instead. Um, or if I get 
if I text something to Jason and I get four ha ha ha's back, I'm like, all right, that's the key. Yeah, no, it's, it's going good. In. I, I, I mean, I would watch it anyway, but you, you usually text it to me or email it to me, uh, and I, I enjoy it. Shh, very don't much, say so. that. Don't say that. I'm actually going to text it to every listener. Yes. Who I have contact info on. So uh, the following people expect a text from me. Uh, I mentioned the FlowTrack podcast too. People can download that Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah, I don't acknowledge that. But well, you know, uh, it does free. have some overlap. I'll say that. However, you know, we go into more depth on the college stuff. And because it's three times a week, we'll react to stuff that's sort of more recent that probably wouldn't get a long airing on this show. So. Just, if yeah, I would listen to that, podcasts. but I just know I would end up repeating things that I like, heard. I'll be like, so Jason, I, purposely I said that. that. And Jason, you just quoted me back to me. I'd be like, well, I heard this thing, um, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm just saying if people want more track podcasts. No, absolutely. There's another Yeah, if it's stuff spot. that we did not cover on this, you probably covered it on, on FlowTrack. Yeah, exactly. 100%. So let's begin the show, shall we? Actually, yes, do you please. want do you want to plug anything? Do you have any shows coming up? Mm. <laughs> uh, nope. Okay, nothing. So, for example, the difference between the two pods, you know, Monday pod on Flood Track, we open with high schooler Colin Solomon breaking four minutes. We're not going to open with that on this show. We're going to open. It's old news. We're going to open with the New Balance Inter Grand Prix, which is also old news, but. Yep. It's the direction that we go with. What happens more often now, though? Does a high school kid break four or does New Balance Grand Prix happen? It's pretty close. It's a yearly tradition. See, I should, you should be writing these jokes and delivering them yourselves on, on this week's track. It's just there's much way more efficient by you and just a funnier delivery, too. It's why you're a stand up comedian. Okay. That's a good point, though, because it, it has been three years in a row. But uh, one of the was one of the New Balance Inter Grand Prix's cancel. Oh, no, they did it last they, year. They did. Okay, I was trying to remember. I was like, I have no idea if it happened last year or not. I just couldn't remember what was They did. They did. They moved it to Staten Island, but it's That's stayed right. in Staten yep. But it stayed in Staten Island this year, too. Maybe that'll just be the permanent home. Okay, but when I, had, when I took a step back from this meet, Jason, yeah, it's been a couple of days. I was trying to think what were the actual consequential results. Mm-hmm. And I came with at least two. Okay. We'll discuss more than just these two. But the two I had was Holloway and the 60 hurdles just because the field was really good. And he showed that he's clearly the number one guy in the world again and could break his own world record again this year. And then in the 3,000, Adele Michal running 730, a lot of it by himself, and breaking the European record. Uh, He runs for Spain. Other than that, there were some fun races. There were some competitive races. There were some, some, some. There were, excuse me, some surprises. But I don't know if there was anything that was particular that like changed the trajectory of the indoor season at all. Yeah, I think that's fair. And even, I guess Holloway. I mean, does it, I don't know if it changes anything. I guess it reaffirms his spot at the top, which yeah, we all. I would have thought anyway, but it's good to see. Right, because it was just like the weird, hey, bad race in the Olympic final, not ideal times, but yeah, no, he looks fantastic, and that was the most loaded field. Yes, that's why um, I said it. Yeah. So yeah, so I think you know, just that's a that's obviously a good sign. But yeah, I mean, the three thousand, that's that was definitely didn't have that going it, in. No, I did not. Seven thirty is quick. I do rankings show too for Flow Track, and I'm doing the three thousand for this most recent edition, which will be up. 
by the time you listen to this. And the three, this is okay. This is who I have. I'll just, I'll just do this right now. This yeah. Be, this is a long list of people who I considered. Actually, I deleted some people, but I remembered them because I've done this. I didn't do this too long ago. But now, not all these people are going to run indoors, and obviously, not all of them are going to make the team. So you have Aragawi, who just destroyed McCall two weeks ago and ran the 720s. Yeah. In- Ingebrigtsen, yep. Joshua Cheptegei, yep. McCall, Jacob Kiplimo, Wale of Ethiopia, um, Katir of Spain, Borrega, Chalimo, Stuart McSwain, Yomif Kijelka. And then Jacob Krop at Kenya of Kenya ran seven thirty four or five or something like that um, in that same race in Karlsruhe or I went sub seven. So there's just like a huge list of guys. Like I don't know how how to sort that out, but McCall's in the mix, and he, him and Katir are gonna have a nice battle um, to be tops in Spain. But that that three K could turn out to be a good race. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a really ridiculous, like you said, probably not everybody runs, but even if you get some of them, that's going to be, that could be really, really good. Yeah, and if you look, I was having some fun looking back at 2018 World Indoor Championships, just see who ran, just to establish some sort of pattern. Um, the Women's 3000, do you remember that, Women's 3000? That was loaded. Yeah. Dababa Hassan Muir, that was the controversial finish. That's right if I'm remembering correctly. That was the one race where there wasn't a DQ, and then everything else after that got DQ'd. But even the top, this was that top tier, Dababa, Hassan, Mir, Obiri, Houlihan. Jesus. In top five. The men's 3,000 had, let's see, men's 3,000, Kajelka, Berega, Bergen, Gebruet, McCall, and then remember... Uh, Chalimo got DQ'd. Actually, four guys got DQ'd in the prelim. So Chalimo could have been in the mix there as well, too. So the my point being, the 3K usually has some guys. Kajelka's won it. He won it in 16 as well, too. That's sort of his bread and butter. But the 3K will produce something good. I don't know if Ingebrigtsen will run it. Uh, it certainly gets a lot more competitive if he does because that feels like a, a wheelhouse race for him. But even without him, it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's you're right. It is on the surface. It's just, yeah, you're running through the names, both men's and women. It's just deeper than I expect it to be. I mean, I guess yeah. just – but if you, you, know, you kind of go, hey, you're getting 1,500, 5,000 guys – and yeah, both exactly. those are pretty deep right now on both the men's and the women's side. So it's like you don't need you don't need everybody to join, but you just need whatever handful of guys to do it. And that's yeah. Well, here's my women's group. This is nuts too. Hassan Niansaba, Sagai, Muir, Obiri, GDS, Hailu, Gade, Ty, and then Perrier Saint Pierre. And there's a there's a lot of people. Like you could go fifteen deep on that and have a rotating group there. First, I mean, Hassan, I think, is number one. Ninsaba, I think, is the only woman who can contend with her. But all the tiers blend into each other a bit. There's not, like, a firm line between, like, Mir and Obiri. You could, of course, see Obiri beating Mir. Um, GDS just ran a Canadian record. looked pretty good. Yeah, she looked really good. 
Yeah, G'day, I guess, would be the one question mark is, okay, is it too short of a distance for her? But you take her take her half marathon splits. And she's, <laughs> right. yeah, it's pretty damn good. So that, yeah, men's, women's, you're absolutely right. Completely, completely stacked. The only other... The only other race that I would put in as notable, perhaps, was this women's 60 because Briscoe ran a world lead, 7.07, and then Brianna Williams, coached by Otto Bolden, ran 7.09 in the in the semis. So maybe, but I think everybody's waiting on Elaine Thompson, hurrah. Number one, to see if she gets a world record. Number two, to see if she's going to run at world indoors because if she completes number one and then decides to run at world indoors, then that's the... That's going to be the story of the indoor season, I believe. If she doesn't, then this thing is wide open. But was yeah. there any other race that you got anything from? I guess. I mean, the men's eight. Mm. Uh, you know, Hobble I know why looked, you liked him. Had looked pretty good so far, but Mariana Garcia, like one forty-five, one indoors. That's pretty good, especially. I mean, I don't. The the eight hundred is not going to be the. I don't want to call it a trash can fire because that be insulting like like that that keeps people warm so like this it was worse than that last year but (laughs) not a dumpster fire a trash can fire yeah like i mean either way i think that's providing warmth so i think that's too nice but like this (laughs) this performance might have won him gold last year but i think at least it's relevant right now i knew you were going to pick this race but i thought it was going to be for a different reason oh why's that well it was a big meet for spain jason then you had a guy named mariano I mean, it's a good point. Just made me think of all the people who've withdrawn from this. Uh, Mario and Harley. Yeah, Spain did have a a big day, though. I mean, that was. uh, Yeah. I like it, you know? I think. So here's one way to look at indoors because it's all compact. Someone has a really good weekend, and either they put out a big mark or they go to Melrose and win, or they go to New Balance Center Grand Prix and win, or they win at the World Indoor Tour. Like, they get a big win. You want to see, all right. Was that just a one-time thing, or are they going to sustain that? And so with Hopple, you get the win at Milrose. He's a favorite in this race, but he gets beat. Now, Garcia ran a really good race, but I think with a lot of these races, you just, you, you'd like to see, all right, is what we saw a week ago or two weeks ago sustainable? Like you saw it in the mile, right, with Beamish. Wins a 3K at Milrose, crazy finish, passes on Tier and Hawker on the inside, gets it. All right, is he up a level now? But then he gets fourth. Now, totally different race, different circumstances, but he wasn't able to sustain that winning. And that's sort of what I look at sometimes in indoors just to see if these folks can keep it going and rack up another victory. That's why I was interested with you know, per your St. Pierre, she didn't run that 3000, but I yeah. wanted to see, Hey, yeah, she's her a little bit, would have been awesome. Yeah. In retrospect, that would have been great. Now she's obviously a little more, you know, she's proven and proven recently how good a shape she's in. But with a lot of these races, when you can't compare the times and you're just looking at this field and what is this, you know, this tracks fast or this tracks not as good. Like I like to see if people can just run off a string of wins and there wasn't a ton of that, or there hasn't been a ton of that yet in terms of surprise people doing it. Um, the men's mile still was pretty exciting. Kosker and Alexander really went for it and and just got caught just at the line there in the men's miles. So that was exciting. Alexander was another one. Now, he 
kind of stayed where he was at with Milrose, which was pretty good. I mean, he almost caught Josh Kerr at the end of Milrose. Hoare was too good for him. But in this race, he really went for it. He was up by over three seconds, three-fourths of the way through this race. And then Coskran just got him at the end. Luke McCann of Ireland was third, so they went 1-3. Um, you said you liked that women's three, women's 3,000? I mean, GDS looked fantastic. I mean, she, you know, which... That kick was nuts. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> is like, she just looked really, really good, which, I mean, she's been really, really good for, you know, a few years now. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just a bummer that Perrier wasn't in it, because that would have been kind of just, you know, the one person that would have been interesting to kind of see who could have who could have won it there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and that's the thing about indoors in general. I mean, I'm not necessarily, like, making, like, grand predictions from no, almost don't. any of this, because it's, like, <laughs> even going in, if you're like, well, Grand Holloway was great, and it's like, oh, really? The guy who's the best in the world at this event looked good? Cool. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, I'm, I can't believe it. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's why, but even something like like the men's eight, like Mariona Garcia did not know who he was. Okay. At, yeah. He, yeah. I mean, he just ran his PR like yeah. indoor or outdoor. Yeah. Like, by but then lot. you want to see it and you want to see it. And he stomped hopple. Yeah. Like that, that matters. Like one forty five one indoors. Oh, hundred percent. And he's the same age as hopple. Mm-hmm. A guy who, you know, I don't know. What was it, a year and a half ago? You were like, he might be the second best in the world. Yeah. I mean, like, that's that's something that actually could have an effect. I mean, I have no idea. Like I said, I didn't know Mariana Garcia's name before this meet, so I have no idea what the stain power is of that, but that that actually could carry over at least at least somewhat, especially to an event, you know, I expect Brazier to be back, and maybe mm-hmm. Hopple is back to being, like, a metal contender, but, like, who else do you feel good about? Career, because he was consistent, but yeah, that's Yeah, career, it. and he was, I mean, he won the gold medal, so it's like, I don't want to undersell what he did, but also, like, how many times did we talk about career last year? Not Once. a lot. I can tell you who I'm not confident in in the 800 this year. Uh, but <laughs> people have heard that before. Yeah, Garcia, I think we're rightfully reacting to. I don't think it's an overreaction because – and he – you're right. Overall PR – the week before, whatever, when he ran was like what he 148, 149 the previous week yeah, or something. Yeah, it, it's so, and so, yeah, I want to see him do it a couple times. Yeah. But beating Hopple by a second, like, and I don't think this matters as much to Hopple. Like, 146.0 is fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not a bad time. It's not a great time. It's whatever. Um, but just the fact that, like I said, Garcia beats him by a second, like, that's surprising. And yeah, could, could matter. I'm also not going to overreact to Noel Lyles' PB because. He's run some decent I mean, 60s. That's a good sign. Yeah, he's run some decent 60s before. But I think it is positive for him to improve on that first part of his race. And if he's – like if he somehow could run – this was 656. If he could somehow run – if you told me Noah Lyles is going to run 649 indoors, I would extrapolate all sorts of stuff to the 200 from that. Yeah. I, because, I mean, would you be saying he's going to make the 100 team too? Because I'd be really – I mean – it's so deep. It would be it'd be tough, but I'd be like, Jesus, like what's what's the upside here? Yeah, and he said afterwards he's been looking at Bromel's start and Coleman's start. And he understands that it's just rough to come from behind every single time. And I think that acknowledgement is a good step for him. Not to say he was thinking, Oh, my start is perfect. 
I Wait. don't have a. I start with the best of them, and there's no problem at all. He obviously, but when, but when he could make up for it so easily before, exactly, it, you don't exactly think about it as much. Yeah, and I, I think pro athletes sometimes when they're a ten out of ten at five things, and they're a seven out of ten or a six out of ten at two other things, they rightfully want to focus on the ten out of ten things, right? Yeah, like they're like, look at how look, you know. I did this right because overall things are going well, but they didn't end up well for him last year at the Olympics. And maybe that is what forced a little bit of reflection into how to up his game a little bit more. And it's obviously, obviously one part of that is just the, the start, the first part of his race and just being, being with these guys. This field was not as good as Melrose. No No. one's going to tell you that it was as good as Melrose. Every guy we would have picked to beat him was not here. Correct. So I don't think if this was, if this was college football, you would not say he picked up any quality wins in this race, but he did get a PB and you could just tell he was more comfortable, more confident in that first part of his race. Now, can you do that when Christian Coleman is right next to you? Yeah. Cr- Coleman and Bramell and Baker and yeah, Jacobs and all those guys. I don't, I think that's going to be awfully tough to do, but if he's even making incremental steps, to it, I think it's going to pay dividends outdoors. And if there's somebody on the sprint side of things who could completely neglect indoors, it would be Noah Lyles because we know him more as a 200-meter runner, and the 200 indoors is <laughs> not really the bee's yeah. knees. I mean, Trayvon Bromel ran it and then <laughs> went and laid down on the inside of the track for a while, and everyone yeah. got really scared. Yep. So I don't think this is anything but positive. This, this is all good news for him. Also, all good news for Bromel, too, because – you run a 200, whatever. It doesn't really matter as long as you're healthy yeah. getting through it. But I think I think there might be – I think there's going to be an interesting point in Lyles' season where I think he's going to run a good enough 100 time to where we start thinking one and two. But then the other part is going to say, well, does he just want to take care of he's, business? In he's got his hands full with the two. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, but I know, think he's going to run a good was, enough hundred. Hey, I have the two hundred. It's already it's in the bag. Do I go for the easy double, if you will? But <laughs> that's the four two. Yeah, but no, now I mean it's. I, I do think. I mean, I, I think if we see, you know, two three years ago, Lyles, I think he'll do the one two. Like I, you know, unless it's. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I, I guess unless Coleman and Bramell and ba- like are, are ripping off nine sevens and and Baker throws in like nine eighty one and he's just like, eh, you know, well, I guess there's f- room for four on the team. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I expect him if he looks like the old Noah Lyles that he will do it. Um, and I think that's you know that, that's probably part of why he, why he's running indoors. Like, I mean, I know he finished you know last year with that with that good race, but like. Yeah, I was shaking. I can't that. figure out you know the, the rest of that season. You cannot call that season a success by his measure at all. Like it's just it wasn't. He was indisputably massive favorite going into the year, and he finished third at the Olympics. And he wasn't good the whole year. Um, so like he needs to, you know, get that sorted out. Obviously, and we'll we'll see what happens outdoors. But like I think little steps like this, even just hey, PR in the sixty, like that's a good you know. It's a, it's a way to get on the right uh, frame of mind. All right. I don't want to read too much into just comparing results to results, but do you remember what he did at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix last year? No. 
he ran in the 60. <laughs> there were heats. He got fourth in the heat in 676 and didn't qualify to the Jesus. finals. Yeah, that's real bad. So already, right. so this is really good, is what I'm saying. The year by he runs 19.3. Okay, good. <laughs> I just again, you can't. But he goes, so he does that. That a couple weeks prior to that, he I mean he ran an outdoor 60 in Claremont with a plus 2.3 with a 6.66. Not going to talk about that one. No, but Claremont with wind. Come on. Yeah, he should have run 6.4. Okay, so later on that same meet, he came back at at that New Balance meet and he ran 28. Or sorry, 28. 20.8 in the 200. So he did the double at the New Balance meet. But 20.8, and you can kind of look at these things because it's indoors. The weather is not a factor. Yeah. And the surface, I don't think they switched out the track between the two. But Bromel just ran, what did Bromel run on this? 20.6. And I don't think he thought that that was the best race of his life. No, so he ran. He had no idea what he was doing. He had two sec. he was two tenths off of, of Bromel. So that was his opener last year. Then he goes, uh, Eugene, prelim ten twenty eight, final ten seventeen. This is outdoors. Uh, Mount Sac, nineteen nine. Then he goes to Boston. That's out that street meet ten point. Say he 10. ran the hundred like eight times in a row or something and was not good. Ten ten. Then he goes to Claremont ten fourteen ten oh five. Then he goes to the trials, yeah, and he goes 995, 997, and then 1005 in the final. Now, the 995 was plus 1.9, so that's probably part of it. Yeah, so he, going into going into the Olympic trials um, 200, he had only run one outdoor 200. It was 1990, and he had only gone under 10 in the... 100 at that meet at trials that was it yeah now he managed to win the 200 1974 yeah and listen i don't know i mean he talked about all the the struggles he had had last year but i don't know if like it was up and down or if it was like there was good patches and bad patches like i don't know how that how that works like you know i i I remember even that's trials i mean i remember him running 1970 but we still were like was that did he look right like it was he won, yeah, and it was, but it, it still didn't look like, like vintage Lyles, and like, and I am, just want to make it as clear as possible. I love Noah Lyles. I am rooting so hard for him to be Noah Lyles. Like, I want my house caps back. lock again. Yeah, exactly. Kevin needs his house back. He's got three kids. Come on. <laughs> so like, I th- and I think he does get back. Like, I don't. Th- I think it was this weird thing that you know, whatever he was going through, and hey, man, I, I can't imagine the pressure that pro athletes are under. Um, I think he gets past it and I think he's great, but I just, it was like, he was not good last year at all. Like it was, he ran one race where he looked like him himself the whole year to me. Pre the last one. Yeah. 1950. And that's what I'm saying. If, if whatever he was dealing with was behind him by then, all right, now he's a 19, five guy. Well then him running six, five at a meet last year where he ran six, seven starts to make sense. Right. Exactly. I know we're doing the thing we said we're not going to do. Yeah, exactly. But it's just, it's into this. any but little it's, good sign I'm going to take as a good sign. I'm just going to do that because, you know, that's kind of how I life is. Whatever. Yeah. There's enough yeah. bad signs. Might as well enjoy the good ones. And in the end, that's what really matters. <laughs> All right. Let me run through some other results. We talked about the women's 60. Women's 300. Gabby Thomas gets the win over Lena Irby. Big. 36.2. Jessica Beard in the 452.8. 
800, Natoya Gould, wire-to-wire, world lead, Jason. Yeah, that was nice. That was solid. Guerrero tactically prevails, 411, McLean, 412. Um, 3,000, GDS, Abebe, and then Josette Norris was 837. I think, yeah, we missed out on a good opportunity for an awesome race between Purdue yep. and St. Pierre in that one. 60 hurdle favor, uh, 60 hurdle final, excuse me, uh, Jamaica, 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 Williams and Anderson, actually just Jamaica, Jamaica, but they both look pretty good. We discussed the men's 60, men's 200, men's 400, Dream Richards, eight mile, Ireland, 3000, Spain again, 60 hurdles. We did it all. I think this is it. Yeah, that was it. That was the meat. So not much there, but we got. Not yeah. this weekend, but next next week is when it really gets going because you got Lee Venn and Birmingham. Birmingham is where Muir's going for the one K record, and Elaine yeah. Thompson Roz. Elaine Trying Thompson to Roz avenge Faith Kipiagon's <laughs> attempts outdoor. Yeah, her outdoor pursuits, and then that's when Thompson oh, that's right. Roz is running it. Those fields are those fields are really good, and then the following weekend after that's USA's. So this is the the next two weeks are going to be key, and I'm sure there'll be other smaller meets that aren't as balanced, but are, are really good. But keep an eye on the Birmingham meet in the UK going into the latter part of this indoor season. Um, we saw for the, fr- he's alive, Jason. He's alive. Lamont, Marcel Man. Jacobs. I'm, I'm happy he's alive. Yeah. Let me, let me say that. I am happy that he's alive. Um, I, I think he looked, you, I wouldn't have blamed him if he just never showed up again. <laughs> And just, you know, I mean, I've been to Italy. It's it's amazing. Like, if I had a gold medal and I was a national hero, like, I might just say, screw yeah. it. That's it. I'm just going to enjoy this life forever. Um, but I'm glad he's back. And 651, he looked real, real good. I'm not sure why he didn't run after the Olympics. He... <laughs> I think a lot of people thought he wasn't running after the Olympics because it was a fluke or something and he'd be like exposed but which was kind of dumb because he was on the diamond league circuit and everybody knew it was an upset so if he goes to one of these diamond league meets after the olympics and gets third whoa okay great yeah i have a gold medal you don't exactly but, but i thought so i thought he would do it just to get the payday cash in on the being the olympic champion but he did not and then he runs a 651 all right well if he was worried about that i don't know why he was worried because he looks like the same guy as last time now, here's my question, though. Yeah. If he had not won that race, if he had gotten sixth in the final, or if him and Zarnell Hughes switched spots and he got DQ'd for a false start, would we be talking about a 651 right now? It, it, would, it would get a passing mention, I think. Right? Would it? Not at, a, not at the New Balance? In I know. Grand it was... Free, yeah, at, I mean... In Berlin? I mean, he's... So, he's... What is he? Six feet. He's sixth right now. Uh, sorry, fifth. But he's he's behind two guys from the NCAA currently. <laughs> That's fair. But we, I mean, we, if we had just spent ten minutes talking about Noah Lyles in his six fifty six. That's true. Noah Lyles is sitting a solid tight for twelfth. Yeah. So I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a questionable if we if we bring it up. Like I don't know. Um, but that's what happens when you win a gold medal. You yeah. get mentioned on the show when you get when you have results. That's just kind of the way it works. Yeah, that was my larger point of just showing how perspective changes. 
But also, then it also says, hey, 651 means something because this guy won a gold medal last year. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, did you see Mondo's two attempts at 619 that Man. almost went down? What did you think of that? I, I mean, yeah, it was... The first one, I mean, the first one was really close. Like he, it looked like you know, I'm not, I don't know anything about the pole vault. Like I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh man, he easily cleared the bar. He just, you know, caught it on the other end. That happens. And then the second one, I thought he literally had it. Like I thought yeah. it was good. And then he, I mean, he just barely touched it. So I, he, I mean, he's gonna do this a lot, and he, I think he's gonna continue to raise his world records, whatever, oh, you know, a centimeter at a time. Um, which good. I mean, like it's. Just get to watch Mondo go after this every every week or two. Yeah. It was exciting, and I like that he actually took the attempts. Yeah, absolutely. He could wait and wait and not do it. Or his first attempt wasn't that good. He could have bailed after one, but he didn't. I, I like that he stuck with it. He seems to be at that Eaton level where at a certain point, it's just going against trying to perfect it like he's he's competing not against i mean he would never say this because you know it would be seen as overlooking your competition and but i think he to him it's more just maximizing his ability at this point oh yeah no absolutely he's i mean rightfully so i i agree he's he seems like a really nice guy like all the pole vaulters seem like they're like the nicest people like they're all like rooting for each other super hard and it's great um but however he's 100 percent competing against himself like with it's it's no question i mean it's you know it, it's not an event where you there's not a lot of gamesmanship and stuff involved and he's the world record holder indoors and out and he's much better than everybody and he's also the youngest guy in the field like there's it, he should be thinking just how to how do I get better? I mean, that's how everyone should think. I mean, it's like playing. Well, yeah, I know. It's like being a golfer. Like you know, it's like. Yeah, I guess more what I meant. Not. He's he's gotten to such a point where. There's just only like the fi- minor fine tuning things. Just like with Eaton, it's like, where are you going to get an extra six points in your javelin? <laughs> like that became the discussion. It's like, where can he squeeze out? Uh, points and basically, hey, can you take this event and move it to an entirely different level? Now, we thought Eaton did that, and then Kevin Mayer broke his world record 20 minutes after he retired. Yeah, so that, that, that didn't actually work out. But with Mondo, that's more what I feel like. Not that he's just focused on himself because everybody's focused on themselves, especially in the pole vault, because you're not vaulting like literally into another person, which that'd be interesting, or over another person. Yeah, that'd be oh, that's be kind of fun. Maybe you like hand fight at the top or something. Like you just slap box somebody. Like you go in. Anyway, um, I just mean that he's he, like his motive. The reason why he's going for it there is I think he knows he's going to have other opportunities to go for it. And he probably felt good in practice and thought, no, like victory for me in this competition is not just winning. Victory for me now is the 619. So I'm going to go after it. Whereas I think if he didn't have uh, that much confidence or if he, you know, there was a bunch of other guys contending for the world record or he was new at this whole world record thing and not a completely seasoned vet at getting world records, he might like, all right, I'm going to shut it down after one. 
I'm gonna shut down after one, live to see another day. But I think he just he just he expects more from himself than he did before, it feels like. But that he already at that point was probably pressing himself pretty hard. I just think yeah, he's still young, but he's just he's got so much damn experience because he's been doing this for so long, it feels like. Yeah, and I, I think it's you know, it's the I like the Eaton comparison, but it's like imagine if we gotta watch Eaton do his event every week. Like it's yeah, it yeah. just would have been. I mean, it would have been incredible. Obviously, it also would have killed him most likely. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I can't imagine how that that would happen. But that's yeah. So you we get to see him, you know, do it whatever number of times every week. Like this is just so it is just like this. Our guy who's already you know a, a total master will you know yeah. Like I said 100%. double world record holder will probably go down as the greatest ever. But it's like we still don't know what the limit is. Like. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with pole vault. It's like there is a limit, presumably. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually there's a limit for everything, I guess. But it's, yeah, it's it's just I just I so I just wonder like, what will the world record be in five years? Yeah, it won't be what it is now. I no. feel confident in that. You hear people talk all the time. I'm trying to master my craft. Athletes talk about that all the time. Yeah, and certain certain sports and disciplines are more technical than others. Pole vault certainly, yeah, is incredibly technical, and there's all sorts of parts that go into it. So that makes sense to me to say some, about that. To say to to use that to describe the pole vault um, would make sense, and I think he's sort of at that point because he can go where nobody else can go. All right, sub four. Should we talk about it? Colin Salmon, thirteenth high school boy, break four, runs three fifty eight the armory. Yeah, uh, win, wins the race too, Jace. Big kick, closed in like twenty-seven seconds. Last two hundred, pretty good. And I, I, I made fun of it a little bit, but it's not. I mean, it's still incredible. Like three fifty-eight in high school is amazing. Um, like I said, wins the race. I, it's just you know the the, the breaking four thing has lost its mystique to me in high school, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it's not mm-hmm. like that's awesome. And then you know like. It's just now I'm more excited to see, like, I guess, like what he does next. Mm-hmm. At just like the act of, of breaking it. It's like awesome. And it's still, what do you say, 13? Number 13, but th- we've had three in a row. Yeah. We had, yeah. Yeah. Back so, I mean, so 13 back. is still not that many. <laughs> like, that's still incredible. So, I, I, I'm definitely not trying to undersell it, but it's, it's just because it's happening, like I said, almost every year. Um, yeah. I'm more like, man, like, what can this, what can he do? Like, what? Even this rest of the season, like what could he do outdoors? Yeah, I I have two thoughts on this. Three, actually. One, I think we're entering an era where it's going to happen every year on the boys' side. So I to be national leaders, yeah, to be national leader, you're going to the prerequisite is going to be sub four. I think it's going to happen multiple times this year. Someone else is going to break four this year. Could be someone on his team. Yeah. Uh, number two. I think the stand, the number we should be focused on is the 353, the web yes, time. Yes, agreed. And that's going to be really hard because webs don't grow on trees. 353, it's still so insane. And number three, because this is a Newberry Park joint, it wasn't just about what he did. Yeah. It was about what his teammates did because Lex Young, brother of Nico and Leo, and Aaron Salmon, brother of Colin, ran uh, – the number two and number four high school three Ks in history in the same meet. <laughs> so and dumb. Aaron Salmon, this is this is a crazy thing to think about. Aaron Salmon 
is num- was was their number four guy in cross country, is their number four runner, and ran number four high school 3K of all time, ahead of Cesarek, ahead of Lucas Verspikas, ahead of Jerry Jesus. Lindgren, and he's their number four guy. So we're seeing something that I don't think we're ever going to see again. And when you talk about candidates for sub four, well, you know, Lex Young almost beat his brother's 3K record. Yeah. And Aaron Solomon was not that far behind him. So, and this was indoors. Like that's, yeah. Right. Right. So that's sort of where I'm at with it. Newberry Park, greatest high school team. We don't need to equivocate. Not any idea of like, Hey, wait, do they actually have four of the best five guys or the top four guys in the nation in cross country? It gains more credence when you actually see their track times. Yes. Ba- you know, backing it up. Like, hey, how would these guys do against a college program? Like, any sort of inflated thought you had is sort of getting justified right now once you put track times to it. And I think it's going to continue to be justified. Um, you know, does Salmon, can Salmon get 353? I don't know. I mean, it's a long way to, to 353, but I'm not sure. Um, will another guy break Just it the this fact year? That you're I, not sure is imp- impressive. Like, that's. Yeah, like, I mean, I would, be, if I had to, I mean, I don't want to. He's a high no, no, player. I bet it gets it, like, no. Impossible. <laughs> like, yeah. Where in the, in the past, it's just like, it's off the table entirely. Yeah. His, the yeah. odds are still stacked against him because it's 353 in a high school, but like, it's not completely impossible. Yeah. But, so you have, you know, Lex Young going 757 in a 3K. That indicates something pretty fast in the mile. Uh, I guess his mile PR is, what, 408? But, and he's running 412 for 1600. He's going to smash that this year. He could go under four. Um, Aaron Salmon was just above, above eight minutes. And then bunch of those guys are coming back next year too. So it's just it's just completely preposterous. But within the context of talking about high school boys sub fours, yes, I feel like every time this happens, we can just play back the tape from the previous time a high school boy right. broke sub four and talk about the hundred meter equivalent to it or the four hundred meter equivalent to it and how we're not like going nuts every time. Oh my god, ten four <laughs> I can't believe it. But I get it. There's this attachment to the mile. Um, there was a long period of time when no one did it under four and then Webb did it. And when Webb did it, he smashed through the door. Yeah. But I really, I really think that we should be talking about it more, which we obviously will like national records where we should be looking at. But I think that'll become clearer and clearer in the next like year or two when we have multiple people (laughs) break it. Yeah. Because you two, three, four guys a year who are doing it. I mean, I, right. at that, yeah, at that point where like, oh, okay, this guy ran 355. That's okay. Yeah. That's yeah. all right. That's that's next step. I mean, it just so happened that four just lined up really, really well. That's really what it is. I mean, it's. Well, I think part of it was U.S. high school distance was behind U.S. high school sprints. So if right. you looked at the equivalent performances, you the best miler in the nation might be, you know, 401, 402 or whatever in some years, four, even 403. They're the equivalent best hundred guy in the nation. If you just look at yearly, like the world, like was much better. Same thing with the four hundred was much better. So that's yeah. part of it. Um, number one, and then the other part of it was, um, I mean, obviously the the just like the change in 
shoe technology and stuff too, which is even if you're saying it only gets a second or two, well, there's a lot of people who knocked on the doorstep <laughs> that now can perhaps get through. And I know you like talking about shoes, but Love it. that's obviously a factor here. But yeah, so you have, I mean, you got, yeah, the last three years, Salmon, Kessler, Doshbach, then 17, 16, 16, 15, 15. So the most ever in the same year by different, the most athletes to do it in the same year was um, 16 when Hunter and Sligowski did it, 15, Maton and Fisher, and that's it. So there's never been three in the same year. So it, it didn't happen in like the 60s or 70s. Like, wasn't there one that, where was it back to back years back then? It was back to back. Ryan did it. Well, Ryan did it in 64 and then twice in 65. But I'm just talking about one performance. And then yeah. Danielson did it. Okay, it, it went three years in a row. Ryan was 65. Danielson was 66. LaCorey was 67. So weird. Yeah, I knew they were like in a row, which is like you think it's just how crazy that was that it was. Right. So someone might. <laughs> so someone might look at this and be like, "Oh, here's another three-year run, 20, 21, 22, which means we're in line for 31 years of of a dormant street." No, I think we're gonna. We will have. I'll just. I think we'll have three guys this year do it. I think yeah. we'll set the record for most guys in a in a year doing it. But how did that happen 50 years ago? How did that happen? That's just nuts. Oh, well. I mean, I think part of it is just the generational talent of. Obviously, Jim Ryan, right? Like doing it first. Um, I mean, it could be just the perfect alignment of guys, but it also could be the proximity. It's probably just random happenstance, honestly. But it's okay, Jason. Don't try to explain. No, you, might be, I mean, you, you might be right. Like I don't know. You know, were they running together? I don't know what. I wasn't surprisingly wasn't watching the races back then. Um, no, they weren't running. I mean, this is a long time ago. It's not it's like they weren't. That's what I mean. Like, like it's looking I think at each other's it's Instagram just videos. Totally random that it happened to you know be the case but it's still oh, just insane yeah yeah i think obviously there's some randomness to it but i think I mean, how often is there a generational the talent <laughs> like there's a generational talent by definition once every generation right so you have you have ryan and you have like a web right and then i guess like was drew hunter the the next web, I mean, he certainly was the most consistent. I mean, Fisher's been better post high school, but Hunter in high school was you know crushing everything. Yeah. So I, I think you can kind of like pencil in one of one of those guys like 20, every 20, 30 years. It's just the additional guys are coming in. I think advances in training, advances in technology, the ability to run in these all star meets against pro fields. I think helps. Um, oh and no! Now think, it makes total sense. Well, yeah, and the, I mean it's not like I mean Jim I was Ryan still saying Ryan, the three guys in the '60s makes is the one that blows my mind. Yeah, well, and I think in in general though you look at the, it's tough. It, it's crazy because Jim Ryan ran 355 in 1965, which is nuts because like the time is so fast. Yeah, but you know there was a in like the '90s when U.S. distance running was really stagnant. There was a lot of people looking back, like, why can't we hit the times of the '60s and the '70s? Yeah, I, no, absolutely. I think, I think, part, and part of that was the '90s, just like wasn't a good time for U.S. distance running. But I, th- I think another part of it was like '60s and '70s were really good. Like it was just an up, is like an upswing. It's, yeah. It just some of the stuff happens in in cycles, and um, that was one of the high water marks 
in contrast to the 90s where there was very few Americans making finals in Olympics or world championships. Um, times weren't that great, et cetera, et cetera. And then now we've had another upswing. So I, I think some of it is cyclical. Now I think it flattens out a bit just because the ability to know what everybody's doing constantly and to get rec- recognition for it and to like, that's just sort of going to drown out everything else. So even if there is a slump or a, a lull because of whatever happened, happened, I think that's just going to get overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of the amount of people running fast. Like, do you under just from when we were in high school, which is a long time ago now, but just the amount of information and access to resources that high school runners have now is just on another planet from 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah, I mean, the training methods, you know, are, yeah, it's like, what's the best way to do this? And it's like, you can just read, like, what the pros yeah in that scenario are doing or you know and it's yeah no absolutely it's i I think you're right i think there's you know less and less random it's less and less just random super super talented guys who are just like finish the race and then light up a cigarette and they're like well i don't know why (laughs) topped out at 18 um yeah yeah but yeah it's it's there's gonna be less advantages like that but yeah well, and you have just a bigger – you have this big pool, right? And more people are going to make it through to the end just because you're starting with this bigger number of people who are training really, really hard, using the latest technology, getting good coaching. Now, does it burn people out too? Probably. I don't know. I mean I don't know if you can like assess the burnout rate. Although in the 60s, they're just like run a million four hundreds. That's like, what they did. But but I but I think you just you're just starting with this bigger pool of people. So then when a really talented group comes through, they just can catch fire. Um, but I think I think in a very short period of time, like two years, three years, we're gonna be able to say, oh yeah, like everything we've been saying about sub four being like, all right, whatever, is gonna come true. Because it's just gonna be, hey, are we gonna talk about this when four guys do it every year, five guys do it every year? Is that is that really? I mean, it makes for a cool headline, and right, I do, I I do it as much as anybody else. But when you actually take a look at the time and and what it equates to and what it indicates, it's just we don't celebrate that that type of achievement in any other part of the sport, <laughs> really. Yeah, like I said, it's and it's more a big just that four flat is just happens to be at the right time like i mean if yeah you know it's it just it, it lines up right right Bannister's like i mean fault. if yeah. i mean it's like i don't know in 30 years is it gonna be like oh another high school kid broke 10 in the 100 like okay i don't know yeah like, it, it's it's like it just it but it has to be that exact time because it's not exciting to say oh well another high school kid high school kid broke 147.3 in the 800 yeah. or whatever yeah. the equivalent i don't know um well, people are into the mile too. Yeah, yeah, it's mile because event. everyone ran it, you know, at yeah. different times. Um, but yeah, if you know, if Kenya was keeping track of every sub four from yeah, eighteen right? olds over yeah. the past twenty years, like I mean, it, it would—it's all we'd ever talk about. Yeah, no, and that's the other part of it too. We're just looking at it from the the U.S. perspective. Email time. You ready? Yeah. All right. Let's start first with Brian, the emailer, formerly from Raleigh. Where I'm going to go next week. I'm so excited. Oh, 
Yeah. Brian, email me everything I should do. Nice. Uh, he's also from Pennsylvania, but now from Boulder, so I won't be able to Great. see him, unfortunately. Uh, if Ellie Perrier St. Pierre was healthy this past weekend, do you think she would have beaten GDS? The two seem mm-hmm. fairly similar in terms of ability, but GDS has some serious wheels at the end. Her last 100 at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix was impressive. I'll give GDS the edge. It's too bad Ellie was sick and missed the race. Hopefully, we get to see them at World Indoors. I think I would have take, uh, taken Perrier because she had a race under her belt. I think it would have mattered. Man. I, yeah, I think it's close to a coin flip because the way, the way GDS closed. Oh, it was good. Yeah. Was good. I mean, it's ah, – man, I'm so bummed we missed that because it just would have been so good. Um, yeah. I'll roll GDS, but I, I I don't feel great about it. Kevin from Portland, Maine, formerly from Cincinnati, the Valencia of Ohio. He says, Drake. this was on the second Happy Asbel Kiprop Day. In the words of a certain Twitter commentator, sometimes there's battles that aren't our wars, faults that aren't our mistakes, and judgments that aren't meant for us. This doesn't mean time for a revolution. It may sound fatal to our careers, but our comeback will forever inspire. Is he... I didn't take the time to put this into Google. Like, is he coming up with these quotes? Like, That's a great question, actually, because I, I assumed, because they're usually kind of rambly and they don't make somewhat sense. nonsensical. Yeah. Yeah, they don't um, make sense. Yeah. So I just assumed that they were that, but, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a translation type thing, too. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. He's bad. Like, they said he's going to run in April in an 800. So it's actually happening. This This thing is actually happening. And I don't know what's going to go on next. It's going to be insane. <laughs> oh, man. I can't How'd wait you to celebrate see him run. Day. Yeah, I just I want to see some races. Obviously, I think it'll start, you know, it'll be a little rough going. But, mm-hmm. uh, I th- you know, I, I mean, just all I can do is base it on his Twitter. Um, but he's yeah, excited a lot to of compete. Like, it seems like he's excited to, like, get back out there. So, yeah. Uh, did we talk about Winter Olympics on the- Joe, formerly of seventy five minutes north in NYC and now ninety minutes north of NYC, said, "Forgive me if I simply forgot you mentioned her, but Lolo Jones is a Winter Olympian. She didn't make it this year, so if you're counting this year's Olympians only, I guess she doesn't count as one you'd know." Oh, we were talking about how many Winter Olympians that we were yes, because we were saying, "Have you ever looked forward to an event less?" Yeah, the yeah. Winter Olympics this year. And I said no, and then you asked <laughs> me to wait, name Winter Olympians. I assumed it was for this current games. Because I could I could have named some past ones, but you know yes um yeah so so I, I could have gotten Lolo you know I could have gotten a few you know figure skaters and stuff like that over over the years but I, current ones I don't know have you watched any of the Olympics yet uh, Katie has it on she likes it so okay yeah we've we've caught I'm not some. against I it I just yeah I just can't seem to you know yeah it's not. My favorite collection of sports. She had curling on. She had the some cross country skiing on and hockey. But she turns it on to when USA is broadcasting on Saturday afternoons. She's not watching the primetime stuff. I don't. Maybe she's watching that on an iPad or something. I don't know. So yeah, I mean, I know Schifrin, um knew one of the figure skaters, but. That was pretty much the extent of it. Um, even in like a high interest year, I'm not the biggest Winter Olympics fan. Yeah, I'll get into some. I'll get into some curling. Um, maybe some. Maybe some hockey. Uh, there's random events that'll pop on. I'll be like, oh, this is really fun. 
but there's yeah. not like specific ones that I like plan my my you know calendar around. Yeah, I I just find flaws in pretty much all of them, which is just not a fun way to watch. Oh, speaking of hockey, uh, Donald wrote in from Denver, previously Berkeley and DC. Drink. Uh, just in case Chief is behind on podcasts, I wanted to write in as a backup to the hockey expert for the pod. No NHLers went to the Olympics because the NHL was the only one of the big sports leagues to have a COVID pause during Omicron. That's right. Okay, yeah. They canceled 60-plus games in the course of a few weeks, and those games are now being made up during what was previously the three-week Olympic break. Ha <laughs> jokes on you, Olympics. Um, he continues, and for some running-related news, I don't think this has been mentioned in the last few podcasts, but what do you make of the breakup of the NAZ Elite Men's Distance Guys down in flag? Rory is now with Ryan Hall, fobs with Team Boss, and seemingly dropped by Hoka as he wore Nikes in Houston and hasn't tagged them in a single post but continues to tag his watch sponsor, uh, Sid Vaughn got dropped as well, I believe, and now training in Boulder. Is that Hoka? Uh, is Hoka consolidating and recognizing the women's team down there has more likability? First of all, I just want to say it's weird that Ryan Hall and Ritz are coaches, right? Because I watched them compete. In, <laughs> and Webb was is I don't know if Webb watched them coach, compete in high school. Like that's the weird part. Not necessarily. Yeah. you know, if it's just their pro career, that's one thing. But like, no, we were in high school when they were in high school. Yeah. Do you think Webb felt weird and Hall felt weird when I started coaching? Because I started coaching way before they did. I think I so. 20, I was 23 when I started coaching. Like, I was man, a, Sully. Uh, I was a wonder kid is what they called me. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I think part of this is just growing apart because you want to take the next step and you don't feel like the current situation is, is helping you get there. I think another part of it, obviously, I mean, there's financial – things that go into this Hoka is still signing athletes and still offering athletes. I mean, they, because they stopped sponsoring the NJNY, I think they have money to, uh, put towards, put towards other groups. So I, I mean, if he's asking like long term, I think it'll continue to be pretty similar. Uh, to what they got going on. But yeah, they got, I mean, they got Luis Grijalva, they got Rachel Snyder. I mean, they got a good, they got a good group and, and, and as the elites obviously still got, I mean, they got the Olympic trials champion, Elfine Tulimak. Like they've done a lot right. down there if you think about it. So a couple people leaving, not a huge deal. I mean, look at how many people have switched just off of like Bowerman in the past couple of years. It's, it's a huge number um, of athletes, but yeah, it's just like Ryan, Ryan Hall, like, coaching multiple people like i get like sarah like i remember when ryan hall was remember when he was coached by god yes that's, that's that. all i could think of so i also yeah. and team boss is coached by joe boshard emma hus- emma coburn's husband he's like way younger than he's way younger than hall and ritz but it's just i didn't mean to make it all about me but uh, no it's i mean it's yeah it is weird yeah. i agree 100 percent um yeah i <laughs> If you do one thing, like a, if you're in a, if you're working with a coach, right, and they have their system, and you're and you're with them for a really long time, and that gets you to what two oh nine or whatever, pick your time. Doesn't even matter. It could be in the five k. It could be thirteen thirty. It could be fifteen ten. Like whatever it is, you know, maybe part of you thinks, hey, if I change this up a little bit, yeah, if you plateau for yeah a couple two years, years or whatever, yeah, switch it up. I think it's totally. Normal. I'm surprised we don't see it happen more often, actually, if you think about it. Hey, who can get me that last little piece that I need? 
because small improvements at that level make big differences. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's, and it's one of those things I don't, you know. That was Tolstoy that said that. (laughs) I think unless it's like a really weird coaching move or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something else behind. Like none of that stuff moves the needle much for me. You know, mm-hmm. unless in, <clears throat> unless we see a reason that it should, you know, after the fact, it's like, oh wow, yeah. they got way better. Are they? What happened to them? Or you know, something like that. But it's like, because eh, I don't really know what's happening in the training groups. You know, I it's good to train sure. with other fast people. I'm pretty sure about that. Outside of that, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Also, you know, Hall. You know, he was always training with himself too, which is interesting. Not that he has like this gigantic group yet. Well, if God's right. a coach, you're never training alone, Kevin. Speaking of, true, true. I feel like speaking he has that of, on a pillow or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, marathon, the United States. Uh, Mick wrote in, formerly of Bendingo, now from Camperdown. Drink. He, he's very patient with this email because he wrote it a couple weeks ago. As an Australian, here's my theory on why American men are not more competitive at the marathon. Love it. Love it. That might be sentence the the front runner for sentence of the year. If you look at the athletes competing in Tokyo in the 15-5-10 marathon from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and Great Britain, I selected these nations because culturally and economically they're relatively similar to the U.S. You see an obvious trend. 65% of the male athletes from these countries competing in the events live and train in the U.S. Only 9% of the marathoners from these countries live in the U.S. I'm not saying these marathoners are better than those from the U.S. because based on PRs and Olympic finishes, they are not. But maybe the reason that international track athletes base themselves in the U.S., but marathoners don't, will be the same as the reason American men are less competitive at the marathon on the world stage. Hmm. And I suspect it all comes down to money. We don't know how much athletes are paid by sponsors. So from here on, it's just speculation. Uh, If you are a male track runner capable of competing for an Olympic spot but not in medal contention, you have a much better chance of being able to make a living as a full-time professional athlete in the U.S., than other countries. I'm assuming this is due to high sponsorship money and track events that pay appearance fees and prize money. In these other countries, with comparable economies, cost of living, etc., you are not, if you're not a medal contender, you need to supplement the smaller sponsorship dollars in other ways. In Australia, for example, there's more prize money on the roads, though still not much than the track. So runners naturally move that way for economic reasons. Another popular way for elite runners to supplement their small income is to do some coaching for recreational runners, the majority of whom will be training for half or full marathons and who want a coach who has run these distances. Basically, a lack of support pushes runners to the roads earlier in their careers. This doesn't seem to be the case in the U.S. where you can make a living as a pro track runner um, even if you're not making teams. I don't think many Americans realize how unique that is in the world. This most likely helps your depth on the track, although I'm not sure it helps your medal chances, but it does come at the expense of your marathon top end. All right. That's an interesting point. But what about the women? Well, the trend of international track athletes training in the U.S. doesn't convert over to females as strongly in the same distances from the same countries. Only 23.5% were based in the U.S., but the marathon trend did hold up with just 11 based in the U.S., 11%. The lack of overseas female professional track runners based in America seems to indicate that something is different Different is happening here, and that might be why female American marathoners are doing better on the world stage than their male counterparts. Once again, not knowing how much sponsorship deals are makes this pure speculation, but let's look at the example of, well, every other sport and every other industry in the whole world throughout human history. Let's assume female athletes are paid less than their male equivalents. This means international women are less likely to base themselves in the U.S. It also puts the American runner in the same position as male athletes in other countries, uh, pushing her to the roads earlier and seeing if she is cut out for the marathon. No idea if I'm on the right track here, 
but that is my view from the other side of the world. I'm sure other listeners will be able to correct me if I'm wrong. And to be honest, I hope I'm wrong because the last thing we need is an excuse for less investment in the sport. Cheers, that is Mick. I don't, I mean, the pay disparity, I don't know. That's tough. Like, obviously, the prize money is the same. There's not like, hey, the men are going to get half a million, the women are going to get two, 250K. Right. The stuff that has come out about sponsorship deals or the stuff that, you know, I've heard, which obviously all that's like secondhand. The only contracts you've seen is like, I don't know, like when Boris Berrien got deposed by Nike at a, or what did he, he got, I served with an affidavit at, at a track meet. Yeah. And then those, those things came out. But, Everything else I've heard, I'm sure other people have heard too, where it seems to be in line, but I don't like I ha- I haven't had a broad enough picture to know like a hundred percent if it lines up accurately. Um, what do you think of this theory, just in general? Yeah, I I mean, I, I like the idea. I, I mean, yeah, I'm not I don't know enough about whether it's all true or not. Like, I mean, it, you know, it, it well, makes sense. come on, Jason, <laughs> it makes sense. Twenty twenty two. Um. He was confident in his arguments. Exactly, which is it's immediately if he told me this, he goes, "Hey, by the way, I'm a study in sociology and economics, and I did this." I'd be like, "Yeah, this is right, obviously." Well, he's from Camperdown, all right. So which the thing I love, yeah, learn... Camperdown and Bendingo. Yeah, and I, I'm actually I was just curious. I was like, "Where are these?" Yeah, um, looks like they're pretty okay. They're not too far from each other, but they're both yeah. Yeah, we looked this up before. We I did, think. but I'm just I'm fascinated by it. So um, New South Wales. New sorry, South tomorrow Wales. there. Um, Hello. Wait. <laughs> or is, is it Camperdown just outside Sydney? What's that? Is, where? Hold on. I got. Is Camperdown just basically outside Sydney? I think it is. Uh, it looks like there's diff- two different Camperdowns actually. All right, come on, Mick. There's a one in VIC and NSW. Well, NSW is New South Wales. Okay, so it's probably not, but, well, I don't know. They're both it says, it says, like, Camperdown Park. I feel like he would have said Sydney if this is the case. Where's where's the other one? And They're both kind of near Melbourne. No, no, no. The one is, the one in New South Wales is not by Melbourne. Oh, there's, I see Bendigo. Or, yeah, I see Bendigo. Okay, okay, I got you, yeah. It's Melbourne. Come on, you gotta say I'm it. sorry, I, I, you know, you've heard me pronounce things this whole show. I, just, I, I really do kidding. try, but I'm terrible at it. I'm just doing the classic bit of a guy who lived in Australia when he was a year old until he was four and then rubs it in everybody's face that he's more sophisticated. All right, continue. Sorry. No, no. It's Yeah, so I mean, I, I, like, the, I like the theory. Um, yeah, I'm waiting for the expert to weigh in because there's somebody <laughs> listening right now who has absolutely spent their whole life studying this, and uh, I can't wait to hear. But this this makes sense. This makes more sense than anything that I have. So he's basically saying... They're making money on the track, so they're staying on the track with the men. Yeah. And then that comes at the expense of the marathon top end. I think that's partially true. I also think because they're all coming out of the the college system, there's just like this – there's this predetermined way of doing things. That's just like, this is the way we do things. You're going to do the 5K, and then you're going to do the 10K for a little bit, right? And then you just move up, and then eventually you're going to, like, they have it all mapped out, and they don't want to do too much too soon, I think is part of it. Now, the financial part, though, is key, because if, if you're going broke, then you're going to not, you're going to be like, hey, this plan sucks. I'm not doing this anymore. I am going to run marathons. But I think that top group that could really influence the U.S.'s medal count in the marathon or how they place on major marathons, 
I think those people, like someone like Connor Mance, even if he said, I'm never going to run a marathon, was is good enough to get a contract. You know what I'm saying? Those people are good yeah. enough to get money on the track, which goes to his point. So they have a little bit more liberty to decide what they're going to do because they're just so good. Now, if there's a person who, hey, I'd be perfect as a marathoner, but your 10K is not good, then I, I think that would hasten your move to the, to the marathon, right? Because you're just not, okay, I'm not getting any prize money. I'm not making any teams. But some of the very, very best 10K people also would be in the mix for being the best marathoner if they just adjusted their training, but they're still able to make that money in the, in the 10,000. So that makes sense to me. That, that does, that does make sense. Um, the only, only thing is the women the, for the U S are deeper, both on the track and in the marathon, but a lot there's of those just pe- more, this is more talent pool in general. Well, a lot of those people are the same though, too, right? Like when, when it's Flanagan, right. Or huddle or Sisson, like there is more overlap. Yeah. There's like Des Linden out there and you know molly seidel but i think there's just more crossover in general on the women's side like rup couldn't make the 10k team right now no and sisson won the 10k trials i think if you had every if you took the top 10 women's marathoners and you had a a race on the track in the 10k i think that top 10 would fare pretty well they wouldn't go like one, two, you know, obviously Schweizer and all these other people would, would be up there too. But I think that group would be pretty good. And if you did the same thing on the men's side, they would get absolutely torched. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I guess the question is why, why is that? Yeah. And the case? you know, I, I think, I think part of it again is just randomness, <laughs> this but, is, but you have all the answers tonight. I, I, like I mean, it's a boring answer, but like I, I doesn't say that the rest of it can't be mm-hmm. parts of it because none of it's a hundred percent. You know, it's not a hundred percent randomness, and it's not a hundred percent. You know, uh, financial, and it's not a hundred percent. Like it's, it's all the. It could be a bunch of little things adding up. Mm-hmm. Here's Marshall. I know the city of Cincinnati has been a hot topic of late on the pod, but I'd be curious to hear other listeners pitch their cities and why it's underrated, underappreciated, or that. It truly is the best place to live. Basically, he asks, if I were to move out of St. Louis, where should I go? Please give me your best sales pitch. Unfortunately, he says, I have a tough time pitching St. Louis. All the best. Marshall, do you want to start? Do you want to pitch Las Vegas? Sure, I'll pitch Las Vegas. Um <laughs> No, I, I really li- I like Las Vegas. I think it's... Well, you have I to really say that. Like- You're being paid by... Big Vegas. <laughs> no, I really do. I really do enjoy Las Vegas a lot. Um, obviously, the summers can be a little brutal as far as heat, but uh, Kevin deals with that kind of heat, but with humidity, we don't have that, so that's a plus. Yep. Um, you get, you know, I, I don't think I could live in the small town, like small cities anymore. You know, I like like Vegas is like not massive, you know, like a you know LA, New York, etc. But it's we still get like, hey, any big concert or comedy show or whatever you want to see is going to come here very likely so that's always a plus there's all you know ton of stuff to do you don't have to go near the strip at all it doesn't really matter yeah um yeah i i've, I've enjoyed housings housing is plentiful 
Yeah, it's, still. Yeah, the market's gone up a ton. It was. I was gonna say it used to be very affordable. Now it's you know more affordable than some places for sure. Um, but that uh, yeah, that was. I got lucky that I, I got in before things really kind of blew up. Mm. That's housing speak, folks. When he says I got in, that means you bought a house. I just you know, and that market crashed. You know, it was bad for so many people, but good for your old friend Jason. <laughs> Jeez. Edit that part out. Uh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm. I love learning about other cities, so I will. Well, you got to give Austin the sell now. Um, listen. or if you had to sell one of the places you've lived, what would where would you sell? Like, what was my favorite place that I've lived? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say Southern California, but yeah, yeah we're not I mean, all millionaires. Yeah, so I was making three point seven million dollars a year when I lived there. <laughs> I managed a hedge fund. Uh, no, I mean, L.A. was my favorite place to live. Um, it takes a little bit of time to get to know where everything is, and you have to have enough flexibility in your life to, to, to position yourself so that way traffic doesn't drive you crazy and crowds don't impact you too much. If you could afford it, which excludes 99% of people, then I think it would be awesome because I used to laugh at people who picked place place to live because of the weather, but it matters so much. We had – Oh, a ton. We had two days off here last week because there was ice. Like stuff shut down for two days. School was closed. And I don't blame people for doing it because we don't have all the trucks. We don't have all the equipment. We don't. We're not prepared for it. So it's like you hear from people from Wisconsin or whatever. Like, just drive through it. It's like we don't have any of the resources you have because it doesn't happen. Well, it happened last year. But basically we're not prepared. So – but that sucks. Like everything shuts down. And when I say everything, it's like people didn't go to work. Like the roads – I watched outside my door not the whole day. I heard three cars pass in one day and that was it. There was not any snow on the ground really either. By that point, it had, it was just stuck in the grass, but there wasn't like the road was entirely covered in snow like it was last year, last year for the winter storm. So weather matters, and you're not getting anything better than Southern California weather. I like food. Um, I like being able to run, so you have to – so LA is cool if you can get in the right spot. If you can't get in the right spot, then it's not worth doing. Austin, to me, is like a smaller version of LA because it has awesome places to eat. It has a lot of things to do. It has a bunch of different um, like activities that you can get into that are accessible. Um, but yeah, it's not – when I traveled for work and when I'm going to travel again for work, but when I travel for work, I realize there's a lot of cities that are pretty similar to each other. Like it's just where you go within that city. It's like – Oh, yeah. the, hip, the hipster coffee shop. Like I went to this hipster coffee shop in Birmingham, Alabama, like when I was there for it's not NCAA. It's with Birmingham. Right, yeah, which is – and then you think about it, it's like, okay, dumb. Like why would I assume that? Like that doesn't make any right. sense it's, why I would assume yeah. it. But Because there's all sorts of people everywhere in pretty much every city. And I hear it sometimes now. It's like, oh, you're in Texas. Well, da-da-da-da-da. It's like, no. And then same thing. It's like, oh, you're in LA. Da-da. No, it's like there's all sorts of types of people everywhere. Now there's extremes obviously and then if you get into more – rural areas where you have a smaller sample size to, to choose from, you, you may not have that sort of range of different types of people. But um, I like 
I think it's more about just like your setup. Weather aside, because weather impacts everything that you do, impacts your job, your ability to get sunlight, exercise, and most of the people listen to the pod, I'm sure. Weather and tacos, I think, are Kevin's first and second. Yeah, like I don't go to a ton of things anymore. And then I'm rambling. This is like a horrible pitch. But like when you're a parent, like every playground's pretty similar. Yeah, that's fair. It's just how long does it take to go to the playground and do I need to pack a bunch of jackets when I go to the playground? Also, yeah. LA has this thing called the beach. The beach is, is the beach is tough to beat. The beach is a, the beach is amazing. And I've been to beaches down here, but they're more like destinations. They're not day trip type deals. It's not or you're not living most people aren't living next to the beach in Texas like they are in LA. Um, and people in Texas think that there's some rivalry with California, which is entirely one way. It's it's like thinking Mondo has a rival right now in, in pole vault. It's just like, wait, what? Like, yeah, you guys are also doing pole vault, but not at my level. Um, but I mean, I liked you know Eugene. It's cool. I like it. A lot of people don't, but that's fine. Um, Las Vegas wasn't my favorite place because the weather and because. When I was there, I'm not saying it's this way now because it's obviously grown a lot. When I was there, and partly because we were teenagers and angsty all the time, I felt that everything was the same, and I, and I, everything felt new in a way that I didn't like because I wanted some place that has some sort of history or some sort of tradition, um, and some sort of character. And I didn't feel like the parts of Las Vegas that we went to, which were accessible to us really didn't have that now you, i guess you could have gone down to fremont street and seen where the mob controlled things but we didn't really do that too much so that's why i didn't like it but i know it's changed a lot and i probably wasn't fully aware of everything that it offered when i was there as a, a teenager good food city too though a lot of good food in vegas yeah and when i went back i thought oh man there's this was here. Okay, cool. That's fun. And yeah, like when you go back at different stages of your life, different things appeal to you. But in general, so a couple of years ago, I bet when Marshall wrote this email, he's like, I just want to get a couple ideas from listeners. And then Kevin's just rambling on about his life. I made a list. Here are all the places I would live in the United States. Mm. Um, and they're mostly on the coasts because um, I'm an elitist where I could see myself living. But like my buddy Dan, friend of the show, Dan, right? He lives in Chicago now, and he sends me pictures of just just insane amounts of snow and like real field temperature is negative twelve. It's like nope, no, no, no. Chicago's nope, nope. incredible, but man, I don't know if I can do the winters anymore. Like that's yeah. like I could you know from it, March to November. Yeah, you can't run. Like, or you can the, run, but I mean, you can't. no. I mean, March to November is the is the where I could live there. And oh yeah, be, yeah, yeah. It couldn't be better. Like it's a yeah. an incredible city, like in so many ways. But I really don't know if I could, yeah, do the winters anymore. Yeah, all the places I listed were basically, you know, and I couldn't live in New York. It's like I fully acknowledge after only going there once. It's like this is just a little too much for me. But live in L.A., live in San Diego, D.C. I really liked, um, Portland, Seattle, Eugene. Does D.C. Uh, not get that terrible weather? It gets pretty cold, but I just loved the – it made up for it in other ways. Like I just thought it was a cool – I'm into the government stuff and it was just – the running was great there. I know. I mean I, we wouldn't be living like downtown, but when I was there for an internship, Jason, it was wonderful. Um, and I probably put Austin on that list. And I'm one of the places that everybody talks about is 
the you know North Carolina, the research triangle, which I've never been until next week. So I'm excited to see that. And Vancouver. I could live in Vancouver because I've been there twice on vacations and that place is amazing. Um, but like it really was a short list. Now if someone told me, hey, you need to move to whatever because of some life thing, like I'd make do. Yeah. Like I can, I can move to Minnesota and, and hang. But yeah. To me, here, let me boil it down to this. Weather, because of running and kids' activities, and just I love being outside. Um, ease of getting around, relatively speaking. Access to food and, and different types of people and activities. Like That's just – that's the list, I think. Um, I don't need anything any more complicated than that. Like I don't need to – you know, you're talking about it needs to be big enough to have you know, all the big bands come through. Like people say that. Like I don't really care too much about that. Um I just want to be able to feel like I'm not missing out too much <laughs> on what else is going on in the world, I guess. But I didn't – like in Eugene, it wasn't like we were in a black hole. That's a small small town or mid-sized town. I don't know what it counts as. Is Eugene small, would you say? 250,000? <sighs> no, I'd, I'd say that's medium. Yeah, I mean, I, small yeah. I would think like for sure under 100,000 if not I've never lived that. anywhere small. I've never lived anywhere small. I live and in even Santa like – you know, like, I mean, I, when I lived in California, that was, like, the Bay Area, but it was, like, a small city, but not really, because yeah. you're near a bunch of big, you know. So that's, like, a good scenario, too. Uh, my parents lived in Santa Fe for a bunch of years, and I went there um, over summers a lot. That was not my cup of tea, either, just because I felt like there was nobody there my age, and I was there when when I was in college. And that was sort of a weird vibe, too. So, there's the pitch. Uh, Dan from Chicago, temporarily yeah. Austin, specifically Lambert. Well, thanks for the heads up, Dan. Appreciate it. <laughs> this is not this is not friend of the show, Dan. This is emailer, Dan. Um, actually, after I just said I couldn't, we just said we couldn't live in Chicago. A uh, long time, twenty ninth time. In honor of getting caught up on the pod, take that, Chief. I want to share a few random thoughts. I'm enjoying the uptick in swearing on the show in recent episodes. I can only assume you've waited to break this out until Raylan was old enough to handle the salty language. I don't remember what I said, but or you every said. once I feel like every once in a while, like maybe you know, every once in a while when it needs to be said, it just gets thrown out there. I'm attending a concert next month by a band called Wet Leg. Imagine my dismay to learn that their catalog did not focus primarily on Bekele's 2017 Berlin Marathon. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Uh, while watching short track speed skating this evening, it occurred to me that it's just basically the indoor track version of regular speed skating. With that in mind, should indoor track be added to the Olympic program? Yeah, yes, but on ice. Okay, obviously not. We can't make fun of three-on-three basketball if that happens. But if it did, which athletes besides Eric Sawinski would be best positioned to prosper in Olympic short track track? Keep those mics dry. That is Dan. Um, that short track speed skating is insane because they're just—it's just all positioning. And then making a move at the right time, and then someone falls, and or someone bumps somebody, gets disqualified. Yeah, you need like a even shorter track. Like you need like a hundred meter track or like a fifty meter track where you're just constantly turning. So it's yeah. gonna be a good pick. Someone just really big, someone fast and big. Yeah, you gotta be able to get out. Warholm. Warholm Warhol would be solid. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Warholm would be good. Yeah, I don't. I just that that event is just really. I mean, it's exciting because there's like something someone's falling, but they are just turning a lot. It's crazy. Uh, okay, we're getting close to the end here. Um, Wet leg from, from the Isle of Wright in England. Island I have games. Heard, they might be in Islands games. I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, Liam, right in if you're listening. I've heard of them before. Really? I've okay, heard, I have I've, not. I've heard the name before, uh, but I have not heard one of their songs. Huh. Yeah, I, I will check them out because it's described as a British indie band. And uh, sure, that sounds good you like for me. like all that. Yes, yeah. that's everything. That you their can... debut single, Chase Lounge. That's what I'm going to listen to when this pod's over. I could also live in Belize. I just thought of that. I've been there twice on vacation. I'd live overseas too, for sure. I'd live I need... in most of Europe, I feel like. Yeah, I, I did a bad job uh, trying to figure out where I would live. Um, Marshall, uh, do you play the American record song for tying an American record? Chris Nielsen did 602 oh. in the indoor pole vault. Let's do that right now, Jace. Screw it. Why not? Hey, man, did you see that record? No, not a world, but an American record. Maybe it was a world record, too. It was the best performance by an American citizen Or a relay team composed of American citizens And an athletics event within the United States or abroad Hey man, did you see that American record? Number two, for the past decade, Nick Willis has been my favorite track athlete. Now that he's riding off into the sunset, I'm jumping onto the Grant Holloway bandwagon. He's charismatic, he's an entertainer, and he races and wins all the freaking time. I usually try not to read too much into one race. However, the way he blew out the entire field was pretty incredible to watch. It's kind of funny. He's like, I'm going to cheer for one athlete at a time. <laughs> I like you got to have one that's like your guy or your girl, right? Like yeah, that's, yeah, I feel like sure. that's, yeah. He said, it bothers me that Prairie gave literal no notice for not showing 3K. Yeah, she was sick. She posted on Instagram. you got to follow everybody on Instagram, Marshall. That's where all the announcements get made. I was somewhat surprised Jenny Simpson was not present for New Balance Grand Prix. I assume she's putting all of her energy into one last hurrah and making the 1500 team. Maybe not. I mean, that was my thought, but then she also ran to the, on the roads a bit. Maybe she's going to go fully into the roads. Um, and he said, we have an early entry from Josh Kerr from Smack Talk of the Year. I think this is when he said that um, – he told Oliver Hoare that he said he told Oliver Hoare that they'd get. Actually, I don't know. This is a different one. I I haven't seen this one. I'm not sure if he's trash talking Oliver Hoare or because they said stuff about um they're like they didn't want to get soft racing against the Americans so like they push each other because they're two you know U S based um athletes but Josh Hurd from Great Britain and Oliver Hoare from Australia anyway I'll have to look at that one later I don't have it um. Finally, on last week's pod, Jason mentioned that he has no reason to dislike the Rams. Well, Jason, let me remind you of, that the Rams are owned by Stan Kroenke, who was born and raised in Missouri and became wealthy by marrying into Walmart money. Way back in 2010, Silent Stan began plotting to move the St. Louis Rams back to mm. Los Angeles. Essentially, Stan demanded that the city of, Los, city of St. Louis uh, and residents pay to upgrade the existing stadium or he would move the team. After years of fielding seven to nine Oh, man, he's going to cuss again. All right, earmuffs, Braylon. After years of fielding seven and nine bullshit teams on the field, Stan claimed that St. Louis was no longer a viable option for an NFL team, even though the city has an incredibly knowledgeable and faithful fan base. See the Cardinals and the Blues. The city and the state went to great lengths to save the team, but ultimately Kroenke was moving to L.A. in a bid to dramatically increase the value of his team, leaving the city of St. Louis with a giant dome building and hundreds of millions of dollars in debt in a rather crime-ridden, despairing part of town. 
Not sure if this is enough to sway you to root for the Bengals on Sunday, but I know a lot of St. Louis residents who are big Bengals fans this week. That's Marshall. Listen, I just assume every owner. Yeah, I mean, that's true. <laughs> has you know, some I, stuff. I was, was going to say that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to hate, you know, most billionaires because, come on, they're, you know, they're not great people usually. But I'll say this there's a difference between being a crappy billionaire and then taking a team away from a city. Now, St. Louis, you know, I hate you guys because of the Cardinals, but, like, I don't actually hate you guys because you're a city, whatever. It, if a team was stolen, one of my teams were stolen from the city, yeah, that'd be enough reason to hate them forever. So you're right. Go Bengals. Wait, really? You just switched like that? Well, I already said I was probably rooting for the Bengals last week, but this swayed it for sure, yeah. Hold on, though. Because last week I said I'm rooting for, I said, I'm probably rooting for the Bengals, but I don't really have a reason to dislike the Rams, I, thought, I believe was what I said. Okay, but didn't the Rams start in L.A.? Or wait, no, they were in the... Wait, didn't they go back and forth like twice? Yeah, say they, yeah it has been a, a journey, to say the least. Because they were errors... Hold on a second. Man, this is... Oh, I'm on the Wikipedia page, and this is really confusing. Hold on. Greatest show on turf. That was cool. Wait, how did we get to 2050? Where did the early years start here? So they were... Cleveland. And then they suspended operations. But then they were L.A., yeah, I, see, for, I don't... For 50 years. And then right. they were the St. Louis Rams for 20. Right. So they were stolen from L.A. That's a good point. What, what I'm hearing. Are you back on it? Are you back point. on Matt Stafford I'm back now? to, you know what, I'm back to <laughs> still rooting for Cincinnati, but I got nothing against the Rams. <laughs> you Jason is very fickle when it comes... You're a big Odell Beckham Jr. What guy. I'm saying is they used to be Cleveland. That's what it was. The 36 to 45. That's That was it. So Cleveland was the original owner. So Cleveland is the one who has the complaint to make here? I, I guess. But they, they, the team, I don't know, in 1943 somehow, they didn't play at all. Yeah. You know, it was the war. So I'm going to give them a pass there. I yeah, I, that was tough. There's some other things going on. There's some availability issues. I actually, I've been to St. Louis, and I drove by the stadium. And I remember thinking, well, actually, the whole city was way less populated than I thought it was going to be. It was kind of an interesting experience. I'd never been to one of those before St. Louis. I'd never really been to one of those Midwestern-y type towns like though that, that had a lot of depopulation going on. It was interesting. Um, I had some really good barbecue in St. Louis. And I went to the Arch. Sure. I saw the Cardinals. I, saw, I went to the Cardinals Stadium. Uh, I looked at it and was like, man, one of the best fans in baseball sit right <laughs> Old Bush there. or New Bush? This would have been this would have been like 2010 2009 something like that. Okay, so that was that's the new one. Yeah, it looked it looked very fancy or relatively. I think it was like I think it was like mid 2000s or something like that is when they switched. Yeah. It was yeah, it was it was nice. I mean, I obviously couldn't go in. It was just it was a random. I want to say it was like March or something when we were there. There was no, yeah, there was no football or basketball. But like, we, it was just like really easy to park everywhere. That's what I remember, and that's what I remember about a lot of cities is just how, especially how, when you were living in LA at the time. It's it's got to be like you just go, oh my god. Well, just, that's how I feel about Austin. Sometimes hundreds it's of insane. thousands of dollars just everywhere. So sometimes I think it's pretty wild. Like I just assume parking is going to be bad because I've been conditioned that way in LA. So I'll drive past parking lots to, that look small to stores. Or I'll go past if it if the restaurant is right on the sidewalk or right on the street, I'll be like, ah, I'm not gonna be able to park. I'm gonna have to take go into this neighborhood and find a spot. 
and then there'll be like nine open spots like in that lot. Like I'll just assume it's not going to work. That's the thing about LA. You kind of you assume dysfunction with a lot of things. Maybe it's true in other big cities. I haven't lived in any other big cities. And then you go to like a, a smaller, even a large city like Austin or even Las Vegas, like when I visit, and you're like, man, all right. Yeah, it's parking everywhere. Yeah. It's... Yeah. There's a lot of people here. Well, and everything's not crowded all the time, too. That's the other part. Like then when you go inside the restaurant or you go to this place, it's like, oh, wow, that's great. Or you get on the freeway at 9 at nine p.m., you're like, oh, there's no more traffic. Like everybody's just, they're home, right? But in right. LA, not, that doesn't happen. There's no respite from it. So anyway, Marshall, uh, yeah, I'm still cheering for the Rams. I'm sorry. Um, I just partially I think it would be funny if the Rams win and we get to hear stories about the Rams fan base. Um, and partly I'm still bitter about the Chiefs. So there you have it. That's fair. I'm I'm guessing the – I hope it's a good game. That's really what I want. I want it to be close. Is Marshall a – is he a – he's formerly of Iowa, right? Yeah. So would he be a – it's kind of close to Kansas City. Would he be – or would he be a Chiefs fan? Would he be a Bengals fan, a Packers mm, fan? And I what happened – so who do those Rams fans that hate Kroenke and are mad because they left the ta- left St. Louis, like who do they cheer for now? Do they just not cheer for anybody? Did they try to hop on a new t- – like that would be an interesting thing to find out. Same thing in Seattle. When the Sonics left, do they have? Do they hop onto the Blazers? Do, are they just done with the NBA? They're certainly not Thunder fans. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a good question. I I honestly don't know. Like if they just said tomorrow, they were just like, "Hey, the Cubs are gone." Yeah, what would you do? <sighs> You'd still cheer for the Cubs because you're not. It's not like the attachment to you is about the city. You're not in the city. I could. I don't think I could root for the Cubs. No, you cannot. If they became the Las Vegas Cubs tomorrow, you wouldn't cheer for them? I don't think so. Jason. I think I would – I'd eventually go back because I love baseball. So I think I'd eventually Jason. go back. But I think I would literally take at least a year or two off from baseball entirely. Jason, Jason. Let's back up here. All right. The year is 2025. Yeah. A person by the name of – let's see. Who's buying the Cubs? Trying to think of a Jason. Uh, Michael Jordan <laughs> buys okay. the Cubs. No, hold on. Back up. The year is 2025. Michael Jordan has reconciled with Scottie Pippen. <laughs> and the two of them are going to buy the Cubs Yeah, and move them to Las Vegas. You're really going to sit out a year? It would be the only way to make Chicago hate Michael Jordan. But put that aside for a second. You wouldn't cheer for them? No. That's crazy. Why? That's that's. I think that's a minority opinion. No, I think absolutely. If your team gets stolen, but no, but you're not in the city. You they'd be moving to you. They play. Let's say there's a. Field I'm a Chicago. I'm from Chicago. Like my, all my teams are Chicago based. Okay, like, that's but, what it is. Yeah, but you could see every game. That's fine, but like I don't think the if you were a huge if you were born in Seattle and you had to move to Oklahoma for work and then all of a sudden your favorite Seattle Supertonics team they drafted Kevin Durant you're like this is going to be awesome we're going to have this guy going forward yeah, this is going to yeah, be great yeah. and then his next year they go oh wait we're moving you to Oklahoma City you would hate no absolutely not. you are 
totally wrong on this, Kevin. Write in, tell Kevin how wrong he is, because there's no way you're cheering for your team after they steal them from your city. No, no, no. I'm not saying I'm not saying most people would agree. I'm saying in the specific fictitious circumstance that I created. You, I want you, Vegas to get a baseball team so I could just watch baseball like live. Yeah, what maybe. if baseball? But I don't what want if, it to be the Cubs. What if it's the Cubs though? What if they keep? What if they're literally called the Chicago Cubs still? They just play in Las Vegas. <laughs> then are you in? No, can't do it. That's. I think that's. A, I think that's interesting. Why would you be mad? Just because like the economics of it, or you'd feel bad for the people in Chicago because they can't? Yeah, go to it's the, game? the Chicago Cubs team, and they be literally took the team away from the city. Like part of the great thing about sports, but you to live me in Las Vegas. Like the connection you, between the team and the city. Yeah, but they're going to your city, and they can, and the, you and all your friends can be Cubs fans. No, in Las Vegas. No, I want you know. Well, hopefully, Vegas gets a expansion baseball team, so we don't have to steal somebody else's, or we take one of the Florida teams because they don't give a crap anyway. And you know, we can start there. I'll still Is be that really going to happen. But uh, apparently, the they've already bought a big plot of land for it, and since we already got. Uh, hockey and, and football. I think we'll have basketball within five years, and I think wow. baseball within ten. Oh, basketball is going to come before baseball. Well, there's been some people are talking about how there's going to be baseball like in the next few years. The people keep saying we're going to get o- the Oakland A's, but I I don't know if there's you know how substantiated that is. But like that's been a talk, and apparently wow. they bought the Tropicana land to make it a baseball field. See, this goes back to my point about Vegas changing. If that, if this was the state of play when I was there, totally different ball game for me. I'd be like, this is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want us to have the, you know, four teams. That'll be awesome. I mean, that'll be really cool. I think NBA is a no brainer. I think they're going to expand. They're going to add two teams. Seattle get a team again. Vegas will get a team. It'd be great. What if that team happens to be? Stick with me here. The Chicago Bulls. Are you <laughs> ah, then I'd have to burn my new Bulls equipment that I bought recently. But that would be weird because the news would go in and find you. They'd be like, let's find people who were Bulls fans and they came to the team. Hey, sir, how excited are you? I'm not. Why? Yeah, in your not city. at all. No. But, but like, isn't it – do you find it hard to explain that? No, not really. I mean, this situation is never going to happen. But I'm just No, wondering. no, of course. Like, I, I know it's not a realistic thing. But I think in general, I think taking a – once you break the tie between city and team, then the, the fan base – I mean, the fans have a choice. They could say, hey, screw it. I'm going to just keep rooting for for this team because I've got a bunch of hats that say Rams on it, so why not? Yeah. Or you say, screw this. I'm getting rid of the sport entirely. Or you just – you're at that point, you're allowed to pick whatever team you want. Yeah, you totally are. But I'm saying from a non-sports fanatic standpoint, I think people would be confused by your response. That's possible. But I think sports fans get it. Sports fans, 100%, I think, would understand it, especially if they're moving to another. Like, if if they, if they you live in the city and then they move away, like, I don't expect many people to really care about you at all. But if you're living in a different city and they move to – what if it's amicable? What if the Cubs are like, listen, we just can't do it anymore in Chicago? <laughs> Chicago gets burned down like it did in the early 1900s and yeah. like, screw it. We have to do it. I don't want this pod to take a dark turn, but what if that happens? Are you okay? <laughs> that might be the only way I accept it, but I, mm-hmm. I, you know, that would be a much bigger tragedy happening. So I'd have to forgive it at that point. They'll they'll do a dome, I'm assuming, for baseball, right? Because it's too hot. Yeah, they would have to, or at least retractable. Which I like then, the retractable domes. I think those are cool. And the basketball would be indoors too. I don't know. I think you'd go either way with that. First ever. You know those Vegas wins though. That can make it a little tough. 
Yeah. They should they should have like a retractable thing though. That'd be kind of cool. Right? Every now and then you should have an outdoor game if they screw the, it. No wind. Like when they yeah. would play like the college basketball games on the battleship or whatever. Yeah, that was kind of dumb because the wind was always around. Oh, it was, and It's like you're on the sea. Like what are you yeah. doing? And college basketball doesn't need any help lowering their field goal percentage. Hey, okay. <laughs> uh, two more here. Uh, okay, so Ryan, this is a good one. This is a good one. He run in with all these curves uh, from Wisconsin. I mentioned Wisconsin earlier. Uh, great place. Uh, Madison, good town. I like Madison. I get, okay. I can. I but it's just like when I was there in the November for a cross, it was just, it's just really cold. Just yeah. really, really, really cold. But Madison, I think is to me I had kind of similar vibes to to Austin, just with the college. I say very college town and yeah, cap capital, like a big college town though, right? Capital, but it's how many people? Hold on a second, I want to see how many people live in Madison. Sorry, Ryan. We'll get to your email after we look up a city in your <laughs> state population. Um. Oh yeah. Only wow. That's crazy. Only two hundred fifty-four thousand. So it's closer to Eugene than it is to Austin. But I don't know. It just felt the downtown area was pretty crowded. It could be one of those where the outskirts, like you know, like the Vegas population is technically like one million, but really the Vegas area is like three million. What do you What do you call it? Um, metropolitan area. Yeah. Whatever that is. It's going to be like 250,001. <laughs> Metro area. Here we go. Okay. One, one last 680,000. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, just, the, I remember the downtown being way more crowded than I thought it would be. Okay. I love Lyle's comment. This was after Milrose. He sent this that he would have run everyone down in the hundred. And I thought that the 60 meter splits could be extended to predict 100 time. I currently have mild COVID. And lots of free time while isolating in the guest bedroom. My qualifications for attempting this are that I have a PhD in biomechanics, but I spend my days thinking about why blood vessels get stiffer as we age, not why vapor flies make you run faster. Nevertheless, fitting models to data and making predictions is kind of my jam. The first model I tried just includes acceleration and top speed and neglects the end of the race slowdown. Um, So he includes a graph here that you guys can't see, but he says you can see that Lyle's velocity curve is noticeably different from the other three. He accelerates slower and has a higher top speed. So he compares him to you know, Coleman, Bromel, and Baker. Uh, plotting the time back from Coleman, you can see that Bromel is dead even at 100. Lyles is gaining the last 40, but was too far back at 60 to catch up. And they did some 100-meter predictions, neglecting slowdown. Bromel, 981. Coleman, 981, but Bromel a little faster. Baker, 986, 988 for Lyles. My gut feeling is that these times are about 0.1 too fast. These guys would run 9.9 to 10.0 now, right now for 100. So try another model that includes the last race, late race fade, but this ended up being garbage and completely overestimated the amount of slowing down. So that has Bromel at a 10.5, Lyles at a 10.6, Coleman 11.2, and Baker 11.2. Yeah, <laughs> throw that one in the trash. Get rid of that model. Uh, based on Lyles' better top speed, I think he'd smoke these guys in a 200, but he needs to improve his start if he's going to be a factor of the 100. So basically what we already knew from last year. I was surprised to see how distinctly different Lyles' race data is from the other three. I also really like to plot time back from the leader, and it would be cool to see graphs like this in race breakdowns. Um, and then he followed up the next day after New Balance Indoor, and he says, in my la- last night of COVID isolations, I update model predictions for New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. Lyles had a much better start that puts him in the predicted mix. So remember, Bromel and Coleman were both 981. He has... Lyles, based on his New Balance race at 984, ahead of Baker. Okay. Uh, and includes the graph there as well, too. So, Love it. First of all, hope you feel better. 
Yeah, glad that absolutely. you're out of isolation now. Um, these are really interesting. And yeah, I, I, I think it's it's confirming what we thought about Lyles, but it also shows that he has that different race pattern than everybody else. One thing I would caution is the – I want to see more – I don't know how accurate those 10-meter splits are because sometimes people give feedback and they're like, yeah, those are off. And I guess it only needs to be off a little for it to be off a lot. That's what we say in the PhD community, Jason. Uh, but this is interesting, fascinating. I love it. Send no more is, emails. This is great. Um, yeah, and again, like, see, he he starts off with, "I have a PhD in biomechanics," so I immediately mm-hmm. I go, "I'm whatever this guy says is true." So, mm-hmm. um, I love the thing here. I, yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting, and also, yeah, you could probably even glean more information based on like patterns from previous years racing. Don't you don't have to do any of this, but it's just like made me think about like how you'd kind of map what their what their slowdown would look like, you know, in the or or their acceleration and, and everything else. Yeah, for sure. Um I'm looking at so his his new balance splits were let me pull these up. So reaction was point one five and then he was two point oh three. Um then he was one second even. So he, these are his 10, 10 meter splits basically from ten to twenty is one second. 0.94, 20 to 30, 0.88, 30 to 40, 0.86, 40 to 50, and then 0.87 from 50 to 60. And I want to see – it's interesting though. Everybody's the, – the Mario Burke got second. His fastest segment was 30 to 40. Uh, third place's fastest was 40 to 50. Fourth place's fastest was 40 to 50. Yeah, I'm guessing the lunge from fifty that fifty to sixty ruins it. Screws it up, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, I mean, so but some people it's thirty to forty. Yeah. This one's kind well, of well. We know, like I remember before there was what's like the i uh, the the optimal race distance for like top yeah. end speed, and it was around 140, 150, like right, yeah, somewhere yeah, in that yeah, range yeah. because yeah, that's the difference. Um, so yeah, you I guess you expect you know. Apparently, in this, you know, somewhere around 30 meters, you get up to your, your speed. But I, I would be interested in, like, a 150-meter race or even a 100-meter race, just, like, how consistent those are and how much those vary from person to person. So and, interesting. like you said, how accurate they are. Rod, Mike Rogers got fifth in 668. This was his. So from 10 to 20, one, 1.04, 20 to 30, 0.93, 0.91, 0.79, and then 0.96. Oh. The 0.79 was the fastest segment of anybody in this entire huh. competition. Now, may, I don't know, maybe something was off, right? Yeah, like, it's always tough, I guess. To... But, yeah, a lot of guys, it's 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 either 40 to 50 or 30 to 40, it looks like. Okay. And I think, you're, I think you're right about that 50 to 60 not matching up because of the lean. But, yeah, pretty much 40 to 50 is when they're hitting, hitting their fastest. All right, last email. This is the long one. This is, let's see, word count here. Dude, 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 1,300 words. Holy. Wow. <laughs> All right. This is terrific. Uh, it's from Chris, emailer formerly from Mattoon, Illinois, home of the Green Wave, currently from Chicago. So he has plenty more to write in about either the Bulls potentially leaving, um, the Cubs potentially leaving to Las Vegas, the weather in Chicago. Um, Chicago is amazing. I would still, with a good opportunity, I, w- I would consider moving there for sure. 
Yeah, I think everybody would move anywhere if they had like good job and if they had people, either family or friends, that they wanted to be around. Like, I really think it kind of comes down to to that, and then all the other stuff becomes tiebreakers. All right, here we go. Sorry for late response on this, and tip of the cap to a Laura lawyer, but not our Laura lawyer, for some <laughs> solid legal analysis. You asked for listeners who can explain some aspects of the Rodchenkov Anti-Doping Act as it pertains to the criminal case for the dude getting drugs for the athlete we're totally not sure was blessing Okabare. I'm the goofball who previously emailed in with a long email explaining road course measurement techniques and the origin of the title of the Racketeering Influence yes. and Corrupt Organizations Act and getting an email into the show titled Episode 595, Nico and Rico, <laughs> which is, by the way, I, my favorite title that I've come up. I give up a lot of times on titles, it's but really that good. one, because it was about Nico Young, and I was really proud of it. Uh, it remains a lifelong highlight, he says. Since I'm a trial lawyer whose practice deals with things like federal whistleblower fraud lawsuits every time that, that exist in the overlap of criminal and civil law, I'd be happy to answer some questions about the seemingly weird aspects of the of the act and the case. First, the question – this is going to be long. Are you ready for this? I'm like – I'm reading along with you so I can understand because it's probably going to be a, over my head. Okay. And when I read things, I don't understand – like aloud, I don't understand them as well. So you might need to catch some stuff. I'll try. That I miss. All right. Here we go. The question regarding why Okabari would allow access to her phone and her WhatsApp messages and whether refusing to do so would be considered obstruction of justice. The answer is, as you'll see in a running theme of this email, is contained in the U.S. Constitution. The Fifth Amendment protection against self-incrimination plea in the Fifth in common parlance prevents anyone from being compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against themselves. Commonly known as the right to remain silent, as articulated in Miranda v. Arizona, this right protects anyone from criminal prosecution for refusing to give information that could implicate them in a crime. Accordingly, Okobari could not be charged with obstruction of justice for refusing to provide access to her cell phone or WhatsApp um, message to U.S. Border Control agents, even where such refusal might obstruct the pursuit of justice against other lawbreakers. Okay. However, all caps. <laughs> The Fifth Amendment protection against self-incrimination discussed above has an interesting overlap with the limited applicability of the Fourth Amendment protection against unreasonable searches and seizures. All right, you still with the He threw some heat there. Yeah. Early on, he was just throwing 75 miles an hour over the plate, and then that first sentence was like, all right, yeah, I have a curveball too. Broadly speaking, while the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution generally prohibits searches and seizures without a warrant or other circumstances establishing probable cause that a crime has taken place, there is something known as the border search exception, as you know, Jason, of course, which grants the U.S. government much broader powers of search for anyone, both citizens and non-citizens, entering the United States. How this all applies to a demand from a border control agent for passwords or smartphones or laptops, much less information stored in the cloud but accessible with a password on a device at the border, is an area of a law that is still uncertain and working its way through the courts. However, as things presently stand, the general state of the law is that Ms. Okabari could have refused to provide any password or access to her phone, but she would have been denied entry to the United States for doing so. Okay. In other words... She could not have been charged with obstruction of justice for refusing to provide evidence implicating herself in a crime because of her Fifth Amendment protection applicable to non-citizens. But she could have been denied entry to the U.S. and thus the site of her training group for refusal to comply with a demand that fits within a recognized aspect of the limits of her Fourth Amendment protections. 
Okay. Got that? Yeah. Yeah. He's still there? Okay. It's good. He, he's writing in it there. to make it make sense, which I appreciate. Like, he, he's, he knows he's dealing with at least one real dumb person, so I appreciate it. You know, he's a legal legal, Jace. Yeah. I wanted to use that term for it's, a long time. It's just like Frank Shorter. Yeah. He's all right. <laughs> What's interesting about all this, to me, and encouraging as someone who feels that there's much more that can be done to root out doping in the sport, is the manner in which federal legislation can be used to go after folks in interesting ways. The Rodchenkov Anti-Doping Act specifically includes a section which requires, with certain exceptions, the Department of Justice, the Department of Homeland Security, think TSA agents at airports, and the Food and Drug Administration to coordinate with USADA regarding investigations that might involve a violation of the Rodchenkov Anti-Doping Act section, which prohibits any doping operation that would involve a scheme in commerce as described in the act. If you haven't all fallen asleep by now, I'd be happy to answer the question about the seemingly bizarre requirement in the statute that the violation involves a scheme in commerce affecting an international meet. Again, the reason for the strange wording in the United States Constitution. Oh, is the United States Constitution. The general setup of the United States is that the federal government has significant power, but in limited areas which are delineated in the Constitution. I just realized, Jason, he could just probably be making all this up, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I know. I'm focused, I mean, I, I, you could tell I, he's a smart guy. He's tra- he's trying to dumb it down for us, which I appreciate. And I'm following along, and I'm I'm barely hanging on, but I'm doing what I can. Yeah, I was wondering. I was like, should I verify? I said, this is an actual. Well, the good thing is. We have seven other lawyers listening right now who are yeah, going yeah, to, yeah. you know, do whatever okay. other lawyers do. Cross examine. Yeah. I don't know. He's involved in the legal pursuit of moving the Cubs to <laughs> Vegas. He's getting. <laughs> he's canceling all the leases. Okay, sorry. Uh, the basic framework is that unless um, there is something specific in the United States Constitution which explicitly gives that power to the federal government, then the federal government does not have that power and is reserved to the states. Uh, though many of the framers of the Constitution thought this was obvious from the text and structure of the Constitution, some thought it needed to be even more clear, and thus the last amendment to the Constitution that make up the Bill of Rights. The Tenth Amendment makes it explicitly clear the powers not delegated to the federal government by the United States Constitution nor prohibited by the U.S. Constitution of the states are reserved to the states, blah, blah, blah. Um, what's that called? Uh, there's a name for that. I forgot what it is. Um, Basically, meaning that if the U.S. Constitution is silent on any topic, the federal government does not have the power to act with respect to that area. Now that Jason is fully asleep, hopefully we can wake him back up by explaining what this has to do with busting Okabari and the Rodchenkov Anti-Doping Act provisions that make strange mentions of commerce. One thing that is specifically mentioned in the U.S. Constitution is a power that is given to the federal government is commonly referred to as Interstate Commerce Clause, in which the federal government is given the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. So... When the Anti-Doping Act at issue prohibits any non-athlete to carry into an effect a scheme in commerce to influence by use of prohibited substance or prohibited method any major international sports competition, the reference to commerce and the references to only international competitions are both designed to make sure that the statute falls within the powers granted to the federal government by the U.S. Constitution. Absent those limits, the statute itself may be unenforceable because it would be unconstitutional in the sense that it goes beyond the powers granted to the U.S. Constitution. Do you understand that or no? Yeah. Do you want to read it again? Yeah, kind of. I'm uh, close enough, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Let me read it again. I'll read that paragraph again. It's only three lines. So when the you, you understand the whole idea of the any power not granted yes. to the federal yeah, government yeah, goes it. to the states, right? Yeah. All right. So 
and they're able to regulate interstate commerce. So he says, so when the Anti-Doping Act at issue prohibits any non-athlete to carry in, quote, carry into effect a scheme in commerce to influence by use of prohibited substance or prohibited method any major international sports competition, the reference to commerce and the references to only international competitions are both designed to make sure that the statute falls within the powers granted to the federal government because they right. got to make it federal, right? Yeah. By the U.S. Constitution. Absent those limits, the statute itself may be unenforceable because it would be unconstitutional in the sense that it goes beyond the powers granted to the U.S. Constitution. I'm starting to think that Chris wrote the Rodchenkov Anti-Doping Act. <laughs> he might have. It's I wouldn't, and maybe the Constitution. Yeah. I look forward to the end of the year award show in 2022 when I dominate the new category of most technical and boring email <laughs> ever submitted. But you asked for someone who knows all about this no, stuff to write this. in. It's so good. be careful what you ask for. Uh, he says he'd be happy to come on the pod and talk about all this instead of having you read it. Mm. Um, this is great. That could be good. This is great. No, I mean, I think it is fascinating. Um, he says that this case highlights how impactful legislation like this is going forward. In cracking down on doping, and I would love to see other countries use their own unique criminal justice systems to implement similar statutes that could catch athletes coming into their countries who are involved in doping. Imagine if there were widespread interest in the countries within the EU hosting Diamond League meets to use their border search powers to catch dopers. It could be a powerful tool, but there's also a lot of inertia working against that at the moment. You just never know how smart you know the listeners are until you ask. And never, it never ceases to amaze me, at, but I guess I can't be surprised because it happens just every time. They're just experts in everything and uh yeah no i appreciate it he he wrote that like i mean he used you know he'd use the legal stuff and he goes oh and that means this yeah jason and i appreciate that i think next time i'm gonna like i said before i'm gonna email him before right i'm gonna email like anim is a legal thing i'm like hey what's this mean and then that way i can say it and then or we just bring him on just hey chief legal correspondent yeah just a little little 10 minute uh yeah Every lawyer who listens to this pod, write in with your specialty because there's going to be any number of legal issues this year cropping up. Write in with your specialty just so we have a menu to choose from. I'm like, oh, it's about this? Interstate commerce? We're calling Chris. Boom. Oh, it falls into our Laura's purview? Boom. Give her a call. And then we can just become like a track, like a, a legal sports podcast. Love it. Which probably already exists, I'm sure. But odds will be track specific, which yes. means it'll be which even better. Definitely won't exist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. Houseworn at gmail.com. Thank you so much, everybody, for writing in. Apologies if we uh, insulted your city at some point throughout the course of the show. Apologize to all those Bulls fans out there as well and Cubs fans, <laughs> but your loss is Jason's gain because he was the one trying to pull. The Cubs to his fair city to play at the <laughs> awesomely named Las Vegas ballpark. That is literally the name of a baseball stadium in Las Vegas, folks. And you wonder why I'm like, you know what? I don't know if this place has enough character for me. They called it Las Vegas ballpark. Just ingenuity off the charts. I Las Vegas ballpark's a good time. You know, the aviators <laughs> play there. Got a good minor league team. 51s, it's man. It's 51s. 51s was better. I agree. That was a better name. 51s forever. Aviators name it after sunglasses. That's crazy. All right. Uh, go Rams. That's why I jinxed them. How's it going? Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good run this weekend. We'll talk to you guys next time. Jess Gannis. Go Bengals. But you said... <laughs>